Hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. It's a pleasure to have you here tonight. And I hope before we're through tonight that something is said that will be a comfort, a blessing, and will be of some instruction and help to you. My plan tonight is to talk about the power of faith. Now, I have so many stories, both old and new, about the power of faith. It was a challenge to decide which ones to share. And even at that, I don't think I'm going to be able to get through everything I have tonight. But we'll see how this goes. Again, I am grateful. I never would have imagined back in March that we would still be going and still be doing this by this time. And you would think that I would be out of stories and material by now, but I'm not, thanks to you. I have found this so much of a thrill to watch as you've gotten deeper into your family history. And I have, it has been so satisfying to see you, righteously speaking, well up with pride for your ancestors and the things that they did. To me, it's a fulfillment of Malachi that the hearts of the children would turn to their fathers. All right, let me begin with a story. I shared this story way back when, but this comes out of family history. Mary Ross was born August 17, 1823, near Penston, Scotland. Her future husband, Robert Henderson, was born in Penston, March 17, 1825. Penston's near the east coast of Scotland. Around that area, there are coal mines, and Robert made his living working as a poor, slaving coal miner. Well, after he and Mary met and married, sometime after that, Latter-day Saint missionaries came into the area, and Mary asked Robert if she could go and attend one of their cottage meetings to see what was happening. Well, Robert wasn't too keen on the idea and counseled her not to go, but Mary really wanted to go and listen to these missionaries. So she figured out a way. She would abide by the counsel of her husband and yet still get to hear them. She went to the meeting, but she stood outside and listened through the window. She later reported that she felt the Spirit of the Lord immediately and was in tears before the completion of the first hymn. She returned home that night and told her husband that she wanted to be baptized. Bless his soul. He changed history because Robert consented for her to be baptized. She was baptized April the 1st, 1849. Well, of course, Mary then persuaded Robert, asked him if he would listen to the missionaries and investigate her religion. He consented, and he too was baptized May the 19th, 1849. Now, interestingly, during his confirmation blessing, Robert would, was promised 
that he would take his family and immigrate to America and gather with the saints in Utah. That really bothered him. Not the concept of the gathering, but the means to do it. How could anyone promise such a thing on the head of a poor, starving coal miner and expect it to come true? It was all he could do to keep food on the table, let alone put aside the means sufficient to take his family to America. Nonetheless, Robert and Mary served faithfully there in Scotland. Now, one evening, Robert came home from work in the mines and reported to his wife that there was a lot of illness among the miners. Many were getting sick because of bad air down in the mine. And some of the miners were refusing to go to work. Well, to remedy the problem, the mine company put out bids for someone to dig a new ventilation shaft down into the mine to let in sufficient air so that the mine could reopen. Well, upon hearing that, Mary insisted that Robert apply or put in a bid. Now, his response, he was frustrated because, in fact, the record says he became angry and reminded Mary that he had neither the experience doing that kind of work, the tools, nor the manpower to do it. Still, Mary said, I think you should put in a bid. So he did obedient to his wife, he did. And yeah, you guessed it, he won the bid. Now he had to dig the shaft. This is critical to my theme. He won the bid. Now it was his job to dig a ventilation shaft down through a mountain into the mine to let in new air. He felt helpless and hopeless. No idea where to even begin but Mary insisted that he try. Well, he borrowed a pick and a shovel, selected a spot, and started digging. He dug and threw the dirt back over his head until the hole was dug sufficiently as deep as he was tall. He was quickly reaching the point where he could no longer throw the dirt out of the hole that he was digging, and he still had hundreds of feet to go to reach the mine. What to do? When all of a sudden, his shovel struck hard rock. He cleared it off and discovered a crack, a fault in the earth, which when cleared of the overlaying dirt, reached all the way to the mine shaft. That shaft let in more air and ventilation into the mine than any shaft he or anyone else could have dug. Well, the mine owners were so pleased that they paid Robert the full amount of the bid, notwithstanding he only worked maybe two or three days. And now Robert and Mary Henderson had sufficient to immigrate to America. They sailed from Liverpool, England on the 30th of May, 1863, on the ship Sinashore. After arriving in Utah in 1863, after arriving, they made their way to Utah and settled here. Their third great-grandson is Lieutenant Colonel Kenneth Alford, retired, professor of religion and church history at Brigham Young University, and he shared the story with me. 
Now, I wasn't planning to share that story tonight, especially since I shared it in a, in a previous fireside some months ago. But I share it with you because my topic tonight is faith. And faith has been on my mind a great deal. I remember as a young missionary buying a copy of the Lectures on Faith at the BYU bookstore when I was in the MTC and reading those lectures and be totally lost, having no clue what it was. And for all those many years, I have struggled to understand faith. And I promise you, I still don't have it whipped, that there are some things about faith I do understand. For example, when the prophet Joseph said that faith is the moving cause of all action, consider that story. Robert won the bid, and yet he had no idea where to dig, no tools, no equipment, and no idea how to do it. But he had faith. He got up and he went to work and he dug a hole. Faith placed where? Well, first of all, he had faith in his own ability to dig. He could swing a shovel. And secondly, it seems to be implied in the story that he had faith in his dear wife. And I suppose, although the record doesn't state it, there must have been faith in Almighty God that he would see this endeavor through to success. Hence, wherever that faith was placed in himself, in his wife, or in the Almighty, Robert went to work. And as soon as he was in motion, because if he had had no faith, he would have done nothing, and nothing would have come of it. Notwithstanding, even a promise from an angel, if he didn't get up and dig, no miracle would have happened. But as soon as he was in motion, the Almighty stepped in, and the miracles occurred, and the promise given to Robert about in his confirmation about immigrating to America and having the means to do it was miraculously fulfilled. My dear friends, brothers and sisters, whatever else faith is, it is something we place in ourselves, in other people, in tools, equipment. We can place faith in many things. For example, I can place faith in my old mustard pickup, my old 1972 Chevy, the one that I plan to be buried in as a casket. I can place faith in that old truck. And over the last 35 years, it has done many things and will yet do many wonderful things for me. But it cannot fly. It cannot get me from here to San Diego in an hour and a half. It can't float on water like a good ship will do but it can get me from here to there. I can put faith in an ocean liner to take me around the world and it will do it. I can put faith in people, doctors to treat me with medicine, dentists to fix my broken teeth, but there's only one in whom I can place power to save me from myself, my sins, and from Satan. And that's almighty God, the Lord Jesus Christ. I will get just as much miracle from those I place faith in as they have power to give, and Christ has all power. The first thing to know about faith is where and in whom you place it. You can only get back what they have power to give. 
Point number two illustrated by this story is faith moves. Faith is action. It gets up and gets going. Second point about faith. This story comes from the New Testament. It will be familiar to most of you. Late in the Savior's ministry, hatred against him had risen to the point where there was hostility and threats to kill him. So, rejected by his own, the Savior turned and went north and left Israel, going up into Syria, a nation of Gentiles. He was tired. He was seeking seclusion. He wanted to be alone. Now, the record with the gospel writers is a little bit vague as to the exact sequence of events, but evidently, as he went up into Syria, he entered a city or was nearing a city when a woman identified him, figured out who he was, and cried after him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Now, where this woman managed to learn of him and develop such faith, the record doesn't tell us. Suffice it to say, she had enough faith that she went after him to get a blessing for her daughter. Now, the gospel writers all point out the same thing about this woman. She was a Canaanite by birth of the blood of the Canaanites, a Greek by language and custom, and a Syrophoenician by nation. Or in other words, she was a full-blooded pure Gentile, and not at all of the blood of Israel. Well, her plea, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Please come and heal her. How did the Savior react to this Gentile woman? He ignored her. Can you imagine? He just ignored her. And evidently, he kept right on walking. Now, what would you do if you were snubbed in such a way as that? Take it however you want. Well, this is what she did. She followed him, and she kept asking. She continued to plead for the miracle on behalf of her daughter until finally the disciples become somewhat impatient or annoyed, and they ask the Lord, Send her away, for she crieth after us. She's a pest. Give her what she wants and get rid of her. Well, Jesus turns to the disciples and says, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In other words, I can't help her. She's not my mission. She's not what I came here to do. She's not of the house of Israel. Well, there seems to be a moment when they come into the house and the woman comes directly right in behind the Savior and once again falls before him saying, Lord, help me. It must have been something about the way she said it. Jesus turns to the woman and he says, and listen to this, you tell me what he means by this. He says to the woman, it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. 
What? He is the bread of life. It is not right. It is not good. It is not necessary. Take it however you want. It is not right to take what rightfully belongs to the children of Israel and cast it unto Gentile dogs. He called her a dog. Now, according to the Greek construction, the meaning of the word dogs is little dogs, as in pet dogs. But no matter how you look at it, he called her a dog. Now, how would she react to that? What is faith going to dictate? The woman came right back and said, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. She's quick. In other words, she's saying, yes, but look at where you are. You're in Syria. If the children of Israel do not want you, if the children of Israel are trying to kill you, there are those of us, little dogs, pet dogs, under the table, as it were, who will take anything and everything you give. Listen to the Savior's answer. Oh, woman, great is thy faith. I have not seen such faith, no, not in Israel. And then he says, be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. The woman returned home and found her daughter healed and whole. Now, I know that some of you may wrestle with this story because it portrays the Savior as being abrupt, perhaps even rude and harsh. I don't think so. The Joseph Smith translation brings out an insight here, which I think is beautiful. Jesus was indeed constrained by the mandate he had received from his father that he was to minister to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yet it says... Jesus arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would that no man should come unto him. This is Mark's account. But he could not deny them, for he had compassion upon all men. Perhaps his answer to the woman was to test her faith. But whatever else it is, he commended her for her great faith and awarded her the miracle. What was the manifestation of this woman's faith? She was tough. She didn't give up. She persisted. She endured, anxiously engaged in a good cause and unwilling to back down, to quit, or to give up. My dear brothers and sisters, if you and I were that faithfully stubborn, that we would keep the Lord's commandments and do what he said, no matter the cost or no matter the distraction or the deterrent. Imagine how many miracles we could receive if we just toughened up and stuck to it. Next story. Each of these stories deals with a different element of faith. I leave it to you to take them however you want and use these and apply these however it comes to you. I know that there's power in faith. There are miracles in faith. But for me, faith means move in the right direction. February 1829, notwithstanding the cold and the snow of upstate New York, Father Joseph Smith Sr., now 58 years old, journeyed from his home in Manchester to Harmony, Pennsylvania, in company with his son, Samuel, 
to visit his other son, Joseph Smith Jr., then living with his wife, Emma, in Harmony, where the work of translation of the Book of Mormon was in process, but progressing slowly. While there, Joseph Sr. inquired of his son, Joseph Jr., what the Lord would have him do. Joseph, the seer, inquired of the Lord and received a significant revelation, which reads in part as follows. Remember this, this is to an old man. What would the Lord have me do, Joseph? And the answer, now behold, a marvelous work is about to come forth among the children of men. Therefore, O ye that embark in the service of God, see that ye serve him with all your heart, might, mind, and strength, that ye may stand blameless before God at the last day. Therefore, if ye have desires to serve God, ye are called to the work. It's section four of the Doctrine and Covenants, which so many of you as missionaries memorize. Now, we don't have any record of Joseph Smith Sr.'s reaction to that revelation. We are just not told how he received it, but supposedly favorably. Now, some months later, history moves forward. Back in Manchester, the Book of Mormon has been published. A Quaker man came to Joseph Smith Sr.'s home and announced that he had purchased a note or a debt against Father Smith and he was here to collect it. Now, in those days, if you owed someone money, you wrote it on a note, an IOU, as it were, and you signed it. Now, someone came along and bought that note from the original holder, which they paid them the debt. They now held the debt against you as the holder. When the debt was paid off, the signature line was torn off, and it was no longer valid. Well, the Quaker shows up, notwithstanding the terms of the debt, and came to collect it. When Father Smith asked him, why did you buy this debt? On me, the Quaker refused to answer. Father Smith offered him all the money he had, which was six dollars, promising the rest if the man would just simply be patient and give him a little bit of time. The man's response was most telling, because he said, no. I will not wait one hour, and if you do not pay me immediately, you shall go forthwith to the jail, unless, and he ran over to the fireplace and made violent gestures with his hands towards the fire, unless you will burn up them books of Mormon. But if you'll burn them up, then I will forgive you the whole debt. End of quote. Father Smith said firmly. That I shall not do. Then answered the Quaker, you shall go to jail. At that point, Lucy Mack Smith intervened and offered the Quaker her gold beads, precious gold beads that would more than amply satisfy the remainder of the debt. But the man refused them. You getting the picture of what's going on here? He then called the constable who was waiting outside and the man arrested Joseph, Joseph Smith Sr., and took him off to jail. Along the way, Father Smith's captors, his jailers, made him this offer. He said, they commenced using every possible argument 
to induce me to renounce the Book of Mormon, saying how much better it would be for you to deny that silly thing than to be disgraced and imprisoned when you might not only escape, but also have the note back as well as the money you have paid on it. You see what's going on? Hands down, without question, Father Smith refused the offer, was locked in the jail with a murderer, and kept in prison for the next 30 days because he would not renounce his covenants. While he was a prisoner in the jail, he preached the restored gospel in the Book of Mormon, and when he was released, he baptized two men into the church. In that revelation, section four, directed to Joseph Smith Sr., there are two qualities that are mentioned twice that are of paramount importance in doing the work of God. Notwithstanding the weaknesses of the venerable Father Smith, to this day he stands as a remarkable example of these two qualities mentioned in that revelation, faith and charity. What does that story teach me about faith? Well, at least this much. It does not give up. It does not back down. It is true and faithful. It is firm and steadfast. It is undaunted in obedience to covenants. I love that. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.